Good morning, good morning, good morning everybody and welcome to your mind, your body, your choice. It's your girl Sonya McQueen and I know I'm a day late but this time, last week I was a day late because I just was so busy but this time it was purposeful. Um, I was in prayer. I probably had two hours sleep last night. I woke up after midnight and all I could think about was this show but it was what I felt was being downloaded in me so before I move into what I'm going to talk about today I want to go back to last week for a second and I understand last week was supposed to be a two-part it still will be and the previous week was supposed to be a two-part it still will be but I go in the direction I am led. As I've said before, I don't take notes. I don't really plan on what I'm going to say. I don't, I, I just sit down and I speak. Most of my topics are topics that have been asked of me. I, I get occasional emails, but I get a lot of inbox messages on Facebook giving me ideas about what to speak about. So, about last week I spoke about same-sex uh, couples adopting. I want to reiterate it was a topic that a same-sex couple, a male who was a friend of mine, wanted me to speak about. I had so many phone calls the last few days which kind of it didn't bother me but to be honest people felt like Oh, that was a, a, a bad topic to talk about. You shouldn't talk about those kind of things. And it was people who were against it. And my response to each and every one of them is, you are allowed to have your opinion. God gave us all free minds. Our minds are free. We do not, on the other hand, have the right to push our beliefs and our thoughts on people and judge them and criticize them and put them down for it because you know what makes what happens then it makes you a sinner and you're telling them that they're sinning and what the Bible says but at the same time you're doing something Jesus didn't even do and you're judging and you're putting them in a hell you don't have to put them in in and kicking them out of a heaven that doesn't belong to you. I had a young lady tell me yesterday and she was as sweet and kind as she could be but everybody that fell into that category is going to hell and I told her with all due respect with all due respect unless you're the devil himself you don't have the right to put somebody in hell and I didn't mean any any rudeness I, I wasn't trying to say it in a nasty manner but what I was trying to convey to her is it's okay that you don't believe in it and it's okay that you have an opinion we've we've turned into a world where if your opinion doesn't match the majority you're wrong you need to refocus regroup rechannel your thoughts or you're going to be outed that's the world we're in now. You can't say certain words anymore. If you do, you need to rethink your entire life and change 
your trajectory in the way you think, in the way you feel. That's not reality. It's not reality. There's so many things I see people go through that I don't agree with. But guess what? It's their life. And if they don't ask me my opinion, and I'm not raising them, it's their life. Now, of course, it's not the same if I see somebody who is strung out on drugs and harming themselves, who is abusing a child or elderly person, who is being abused. You know, I, I might step in and say, hey, you know, this isn't right. But the way somebody chooses to live their life, no matter how I feel about it, it's their life. At the end, They'll answer to somebody greater than all of us. But here on this earth, I'm so tired of people telling other people how they should feel, how they should move, the way they should do things. Um, and, and when people say, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. This is what you should have done. It irks me to my core. Who are you to think you have all the answers to the way I should live my life? I just wanted to throw that out there because I did get four phone calls from four totally different people in three different states to tell me that I should have said on that topic, this is a sin and it's immoral. That's not what this show is about. I've said it before, this show is love. You do not have to agree. And I will probably never share my opinion. It is a show to bring up topics to discuss and to make you think. That's it. So if you have an opinion, don't be afraid to share it. But at the same time, don't tell people where they're going when their <laughs> when their life comes to an end. It 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 you don't have the right. You don't have the right. I don't have the right. All right? Please, please, please and thank you. Thank you for being 100% human 100% of the time. That's how you know that daily you sin, daily I sin, daily my husband sins, your significant other if you have one sins. It, it's what we do. We're humans. I'm probably going to curse before this stays out. Probably. Probably going to roll my eyes, um, have a negative thought, fall asleep <laughs> when I should be awake. Who knows? But the point is I'm 100% human. Don't judge me for it. Don't judge me for it. If I ask your opinion, please speak freely. That means I care. All right. Thank you for letting me go there. And now I want to go ahead and talk about today's topic, which is not what I was going to speak about. I was really going to do part two of the adoption um, podcast I did two weeks ago. But God put this so heavy on my heart. I'm going to speak about me. Not about me giving up my son for adoption, but me as a young girl who needed love and someone who had the ability to give it to me totally missed the mark. Not only did they not give me any kind of love, they openly criticized me, talked about me, treated me bad. For no reason other than I was my dad's child. So I'm talking about my stepmom. I got in trouble when I was in school. And I, I hit on this on another podcast. But um, 
my mother sent me my 10th grade year, I believe, to stay with my dad. My dad had remarried when I was five years old, which so happened to be like a month after him and my mom divorced. But um, he remarried and he was with this lady and she had three children already and they lived with my dad. And, you know, my dad was military, so they moved around, and she worked. Um, I would go visit them on the summers, almost every summer, and I enjoyed myself. She was so kind and so sweet and so loving, and we did things as a family. We went to Disney World. We went to Mexico. We went to Universal Studios. We went to the Red Rocks. We went everywhere. My father made sure every summer we did something fun and we took a trip. Um, but when I came to live with them, the very first day I was there, she came in my room and she said to me, if I treat you bad, don't take it personally. It's not you, it's because of other people and the way they've treated other people and I'm going to show them. And she walked out of my room and I didn't understand at the time what she meant. I'm not gonna lie to you. After that, it took years, probably up to a decade for me to realize what she meant. So when she married my father with her three kids, my father didn't really care for any of her kids. And she knew it and they knew it. The youngest one, he would call him, and please excuse me, uh, this is a podcast of honesty. He would call him a faggot, a sissy boy, you know. Um, he would talk about him to other family members, how he act like a sissy. Um, her daughter had a child at, I believe, 15. So, of course, he thought she was wild and loose. Um, he didn't really care for her. He thought she was low. And then her son, her oldest son, um, he used to walk around like the karate kid all the time. He wore karate outfits all the time. And he would go to the park and do all this karate stuff, but he never took karate. So my father had his feelings about her kids, and he didn't care for them. And his way of not caring for them was not to, to really, like, treat them bad, treat them bad, but to act like they didn't really exist. He didn't do anything with them except when I was there for the summers. No quality time, no father-son time, you know, even though he wasn't their father. I don't remember them ever having a father to go to. Um, none of that. So when I moved there, it was her opportunity to treat me in kind. But let me tell you guys, she took it a step further. Like I said before, I would come in the house from school and she'd be sitting on the couch talking about me loudly, how ugly I was, how I stank, how my room stank, how black I was. She, she's a light-skinned, freckle-faced lady. Um, and if you know me, you know me, I'm chocolate. So she would do those things so I could hear her. You know, I would just go to my room and shut the door, and that's where I would stay. She would do things like, as I said before, unplug the microwave, and back then you'd have to program the microwave to use it to warm up food, and I didn't know how to do that. And she would cook and put the food up so it would be cold, so I couldn't eat that food. But I was fine with that because she was a horrible cook. Horrible cook. So, But it was still sting 
because I knew what she was doing. Um, I mostly had french fries and pizza if I cooked anything. I would have a snack. Most nights, you know, I would pick it up from school and I would walk home because my father always made sure I had money. So I would eat lunch at school and um, grab a snack on my way home at the store or something. Or once I got home, there were snacks in the house. I would have a snack and go to my room and shut the door. Um, she would just go above and beyond to hurt me. And it got to the point where she got so comfortable doing it, my father would be gone to the field for weeks and she would still be treating me like that. I would have track practice. Um, as I've said before, popping my collar, I was a track star. You know, I broke several records in two different states running and doing the triple jump. But we lived about five miles maybe from the school and she wouldn't pick me up and I would walk all the way home get home just to hear her talking about me, go to my room, shut my door. It became a normal thing for me. On the weekends, I would go stay with friends. I would just go stay with friends. So one day, my oldest stepbrother, who and I did get along with my step-siblings. I did. I spoke to them, I, um, especially the youngest one. We went to school together. We were pretty close. We spent a lot of time together. Very handsome man, very handsome man. Um, he actually looked like Prince in the face, but he was, you know, taller and bulky and uh, not bulky fat, but bulky muscular. And the girls were crazy about him. But anyway, it got to the point where um, I would just avoid her, but I would spend time with him. Older two, even though they were in the house, they were older than us. You know, I, I believe that they had graduated. Well, I know they had graduated. They just lived in the house. So, fast forward, um, going through that, going through that, the oldest step sibling told me one time that he caught his mother in my room. And it shocked me that he told me that, but he said she was reading my diary. I kept my diary under my mattress. So I decided to put something in the, ma uh, the, the my journal, my diary, just to check. So I put, I didn't know what to do. I had sex with these guys and I didn't know if I was pregnant, if I had got something. You know, back then I didn't really know about it, STDs, like I do. I know I'm inside and out right now, so if y'all need to call me and talk about anything, please do. I was the director of um, infectious diseases, communicable infectious diseases for the Department of Health for several years. Back to my story. So um, I digress. I put that in there and I put it under my mattress. And a couple of days later, I was in my room. My dad was home, and he came in my room, and he sits on my bed to talk to me. And he didn't know really where to start, but the, the story was, of course, he wanted to talk to me about sex. And that his wife had told him that I had been having sex with several different guys. So I told my father what was up. First, I told him the truth. I'm a virgin. I came here as a virgin. I plan on graduating as a virgin. James told me 
that his mom was reading my diary. So to check it, I put this stuff in there. I can't, I couldn't tell if my father really believed me, but after a while he left it alone and left my room. So, um, about a month after that, I was crushing on this guy. He was so handsome, you know, big guy, muscular, went to school with me. And I wrote about this in my second book, The Beginning. Um, and I went out with my friend, a female friend, and her boyfriend. And her boyfriend happened to know this guy she told him I was crushing on, so they went and picked him up. I ended up somehow, I know how, but you, you know, I don't want to get too deep into that. I, I got drugged. And he attempted to date rape me. But he didn't succeed. I ended up being put out on the street, no jacket, in Colorado on a snowy night. Somehow I made it to a friend's house, knocked on her window. She let me in the window. I slept on her floor. I, I was throwing up. Um, I never went to the hospital. My thought is I was drugged because... I don't remember a lot of the night and um, I felt very, very out, out of sorts sitting there. Um, I, I don't remember most of the night and I know I was sick, I was throwing up, I could not get my bearings about me. So years later, of course, once again, it was a drug thing. So the next morning, she takes me home and my dad and Sally are sitting on the couch. That's his wife's name. And um, my dad tells me to sit down, ask me where I've been. And my friend, she tries to explain, but he tells her to leave. Thank you for bringing her leave. So I'm telling my dad, you know, I, <laughs> I really don't know. I, I, my friend that I went to hang out with her, I didn't go to stay the night with her. I went to hang out with her. Um, I think she put me out. I, I just, I'm not sure. And Sally is like, I told you she was a whore and I told you this. And my dad, he didn't want to hear anything else I had to say. Um, and told me I was on punishment for the rest of my life. She was so happy with that. She was just grinning from ear to ear. And about a week after that, her and I got into a fist fight. She purposely, I was coming, I was coming down the hall to go downstairs to our library. And when she heard me coming down the hallway, she hurried up and got off the couch, started walking down the hall as I was coming down the hall. So I moved so we wouldn't brush shoulders, but she purposely squared so we would, but we didn't because I moved. And I went downstairs and I was down there for a while. Well, when I was coming back up, she rushes down the hall, like towards her room, and then starts walking back down the hall. So now I know what she's doing. And I've already developed a deep hatred for this lady. It'd been over a year. I believe I was in my junior year at this time, towards the end of my junior year, because I had already went to prom. So I guess I was about to go into my senior year. So this time I didn't move and she didn't move and we bumped shoulders and I went in my room, shut my door. Next thing I know my door is flying open and she comes in there yelling and cursing at me, calling me every name you would never call a child. So 
I had already sat on my bed and I sprang off of it. And when I did, and I went to say something to her, she hit me. And it was on and popping. Um, all I can tell you is 911 was called for her. And she bit me. So my dad had to take me to the hospital as well to get my thumb checked out. Her teeth met in my thumb. I had to get a shot. But I hardly ever stayed at that house after that. My father took me to one of his girlfriend's house where there was love. I even knew that situation was wrong, but there was love there, and she cared about me. And she made sure I ate, and she talked to me about boys and things that I really, really missed. And I was the type I never told my mom all the stuff I was going through. I felt like you, lay, you made your bed, you lie in it. And I'm still like that to this day. When things go wrong, I do not call people to tell them. I've always been like that. I work out my situations from the time I felt like I was on my own, which was about 16, to this present day. I talk to God now, but back then, I just held everything in, which is how I ended up in trouble when I would get into a fight because I would explode. But back to my story, um, when my mom found out about that fight, she caught a flight. Yeah, my mother was like, I've never in my life laid my hands on my daughter, ever. And this lady, I don't care if my daughter did whip her tail, I'm on my way. And my mom caught a flight out there, so it's a different story in itself. The whole point of this story is to say, up till the age of... 15, I'm going to say, 14, 15, I stayed with my mom. My mom wasn't affectionate. She never told me she loved me. Um, and I've said that before. I've said that before. She, she worked hard. She would come home from work, take a bath, get in bed. She was tired. So she never did anything with me either. She never, we never went out for a meal. We never went to the movies together. We never went for a walk, sat down and had a life talk. Nothing. Birds and bees, nothing at all. And it was just pretty much me because both of my brothers are um, almost six and seven years older than me. So by the time I was in sixth grade, they were in college. They were gone. It was just me and my mom. And I went from that to my dad's house where his wife treated me the way she did. And my dad was military, so he was gone a lot. So I did not understand love. I want to show you how mistreating a child can affect the way they are for the rest of their lives. And people will tell you, ah, get over it. You were a kid. You know better now. How? Because they see it on TV? Because they see it in other families? How are you going to tell somebody to do better because they know better as an adult when their most precious moments as a child were filled loveless, careless, no real emotion towards them. How do you tell them to get over it? People need to stop doing that to others. What you need to say is, you're really going to need some serious counseling to help you get through this. Not get over it. <laughs> that happened two decades ago. You still talking about that? It affects 
that's the way they run the rest of their life. They're reared now. It's the same way as if I was married before my absolutely fabulous husband now. And my previous husband wasn't a fabulous husband. He wasn't. He might be a fabulous man now, and I'm not going to take that away from him. And we've tried to build a friendship. It just doesn't work for me, for me. But he was not a good husband. And I just say we were not ready. We were so young. We had only known each other three months. And for him, he only married me because he didn't want to lose me, and he was going to Korea. I only married him because I promised God, the first guy who you introduced me to, that wants to marry me, I'm going to marry him. And within two months of me saying that, I had met him. Actually, within three weeks of me saying that, I had met him. And we ran into each other three times in one day. It was like a lickety splits. That's what I say when something's just crazy. You know, like, wow, that's crazy. But um, from that time on, we were inseparable for almost three months. He got his orders to go to Korea. We went down to Justice of the Peace, got married, went to Pizza Hut afterwards, got some pizza. Two days later, he went to Korea, got another girl pregnant, had like three affairs, came home, treated me like dirt. <laughs> and you know what? I didn't care. I honestly didn't care. I just wanted to get an annulled marriage, but you can't get an annulment when your spouse is military or they're in another country. They wouldn't let me uh, annul it, and he came back. He asked for forgiveness. He wanted to start anew. I decided to give him a second chance. It didn't get better, but I got pregnant with my precious, beautiful last child, and I left him. But I had no emotion in any of it. In any of it. My oldest daughter's father was a wonderful provider, a wonderful man. He just made some wrong decisions, and I was not forgiving. And I don't mean cheating. He never put his hands on me, well, one time. But he was a wonderful man, a wonderful provider, a great person. But I had no forgiveness in me. So when he made a mistake, instead of saying, you know what, let's work this out, which would be normal, I packed my bags and left them. That's the way I was because I was in a mindset where, you know what? Yeah, you're no better than her. You're no better than that situation. You're no better than that. So let me move on. Let me move on. No forgiveness in me. And I realize something else that I took from this childhood of mine is when somebody really loved me, and I don't mean a dude, I mean anybody, I had some friends who would have given their lives for me. They loved me so much. But when something really hurt me outside of them, I pushed them away. The last thing I wanted when I was hurt was love. And I didn't understand how they could love me. I didn't understand it. I would never tell my friends I loved them back then, ever. They would tell me and I would just feel so weird about it. It was like, oh my gosh, what do you mean you love me? You don't, <laughs> you're a girl. <laughs> I'm a girl. You're a woman. How do you love me? 
And I wouldn't say that, but that's how I would feel. And then when I got really hurt about something, the first thing I would do, I wouldn't share it with them. I would just shut the door on them. And they wouldn't know what was going on in my life. Their question would be, what have I done to you, Sonia? And I would have no answer other than, can you just leave me alone? Dang, what's wrong with you? Back up. Leave me alone. That's all for my rearing. So I do want to tell you guys, it matters greatly how you treat a child. It matters greatly the way they grow up. Over the decades, what makes somebody standoffish? What makes somebody not affectionate? What makes somebody mean? What makes somebody emotional, anxiety, depressed? <laughs> not 100% of the time, but a lot of the times you can best believe it's the way they were raised. I was raised what I feel was loveless so I didn't know how to accept love when I got older and I definitely didn't know how to give it until I had children I definitely taught myself not to treat my children the way I felt like I was treated I spent quality time with my kids we had date nights on Fridays on Wednesdays it was popular night which meant, and I believe I've said this before, but if it was Tweet's turn to pick a popular month, and she said hamburgers, every Wednesday we would try to find a different hamburger joint to eat at. If it was Taisha's time, and she said pizza, every Wednesday for that month we would find a different pizza place. Every summer I let them do whatever they wanted, you know, within reason. So if they wanted to go see Grandpa, I would send them to go see Grandpa. If they wanted to go see their father, I'm going to pack you up to let you go see your father. If they wanted to go see their uncle, their aunt, whatever they wanted to do within reason, if the person on the other end was receptive, they got to do it because they got a lot of love. My oldest daughter, she was in the sports. I made sure she played whatever sport she wanted to, which was only powder puff football, and she ran track. But I was there. Tweet, which some of you know, she's in. she plays instruments. She plays five instruments. She can sing, y'all. She can sing. She wanted to do all that. She wanted acting. She wanted dancing. She wanted everything. And I made sure she did it all. It was a struggle for me. Sometimes working two jobs or doing hair in my house and working full time so that I could afford it. But I made sure to do it. No man came before my kids. I dated. I dated. But you were not going to come spend your time at my house around my kids. You know, I, I, this is my time for my kids. And I'll come see you when they're not home. You know, we'll go out when they're staying the night with a friend or something. But I made sure to give quality time to my kids. Never raising my voice. I never called them out of their names. When they got in trouble, they knew it. They knew not to do something twice because I'm one of their moms going to give you a look and I'm going to get real close to you and say what I have to say. You're going to feel it. I don't have to hit you. You're going to feel it to the core when I say what I have to say. In love, though. In love. 
love. And something about me, I always let my kids know I'm your mom. I'm not your friend. I'm not your friend. You're not going to talk crazy. You're not going to curse around me. You're not going to curse at me. You're not going to raise your voice at me. You're not going to slam no doors in this house. You're not going to stump away from me. You're not going to roll my, your eyes in my face. You're not going to suck your teeth. You're not going to do any of that. And it was easy. It wasn't easy to be a mom, but it was easy to give them love. But when it came to anybody outside of my kids, it was hard for me to accept love. And it took me to get into my 40s to realize why I was like that. Thank God for being able to break a generational curse though because you know what? My father was the way he was because from what I understand his father was that way too and his stepfather. My mother was the way she was because as I understand that's how her mother was. I decided I wasn't going to be that person. I'm going to raise my kids in pure love. I'm going to spend quality time with them. I'm going to talk to them. We played games together. We, we played all kinds of games. I would buy puzzles and put them on a table. And sometimes we would just sit there and put puzzles together. Or it was there if you just wanted to come sit down and work on the puzzle by yourself. And once that puzzle was done, I would either break it up and put it back in the box for another time or glue it. I don't even know what those puzzles are now. That wasn't the point. The point was it was something we did together. We hardly ever watched TV. I always had our music. We would dance. We would lay around and read books and listen to music. We would take turns making up dances and then teaching them to each other. Now my youngest says I'm uncoordinated and I can't dance because she cannot teach me to dance. I tell her that's not true. I can dance my butt off. For some reason, I just can't put these moves together when you guys put uh, these TikToks and all this stuff together and make up all these dance, and I got to do this, and I got to run backwards, and then I got to touch the ground, and I got to spin four times. Yeah, I can't do all that, but I can dance. So we were laughing about that just the other day. The point is, everybody, don't judge people about their upbringing, and don't tell them to get over it. Don't do that to somebody. I'm sure there's something positive or negative that you remember from your childhood that spilled over into your adulthood. Just remember, you guys, don't, don't judge people for the pain, the hurt, the anxiety that they're going through, especially if they blame it on their childhood. That's real. <laughs> That's real. You know... I'm going to say it once again, I, I can't stress this enough. Don't tell anyone to get over it. Don't tell anyone to get over it. That's, that's just a terrible thing to say, and it's not in love. It's not in love to say that to somebody. The best thing that could have ever happened to me, and I know you guys get tired of hearing this name. I know you do. Um, actually, it's two people. One, a guy named Russell Harris. He's been my friend since I was 17 years old. His wife, his first wife, was my absolute best friend. And I met her through him. And when I first met her, um, it was crazy. She was mean. I think I called her the B word. And she ended up at my house later on that night with beer. And we were inseparable from then. Um, 
but she was murdered and I truly loved her and it was the one time from shucks probably age birth to that age I probably realized how much I loved her when I was about 20 and when she left I lost it and maybe that also triggered me keeping people at bay but I'm gonna be honest I was in my 40s when I realized I had some deep issues that I needed to confront last thing I needed anybody to tell me was to get over it but once again nobody knew what I was feeling all they knew is I probably would shut them out at one point and they couldn't understand why and I wasn't explaining anything I just okay I'm not answering your calls anymore you show up at my house did I invite you I didn't okay then well bye I was that harsh I was that harsh and didn't even think about how I was hurting people who really cared about me you don't think like that and you're not doing it on purpose it, it there was just something in me that I didn't want or felt like I didn't need love I know better now you know God didn't bless me with the husband I have now until I realized some things about myself and this still a struggles every once in a while for him you know I'm, I'm not as affectionate as he is but I I'm better than I've ever been before and I let him know how much I love him all the time and I know I'm a pretty good wife so but I still have my few struggles and um, you know the last thing he's ever going to tell me is get over it you're you're 52 now get over it good lord he knows you know I've told him this maybe once or twice in, in our relationship and he understands um, but the second person would be Paula. When I first met Paula, I'm going to tell you guys that story one day. But I thought she was on drugs. I was scared of her. It just so happened though. She's so full of that Holy Spirit. She told me stuff about myself. As a stranger, she knew stuff. I, it couldn't have been anybody but God. And it's because of her I have the husband I have. And the job I have. And the place I am. Because... God knew I wasn't listening, so he found somebody to talk to me through. And I could not deny it was coming from God because she knew things that there's no way in the world she would have ever known. I'm too private. I'm too private. And it was scary, actually. It was super, super scary in the beginning. I was scared of her. But now I just know what I know. So be loving, be encompassing. If you ever meet a person like me, understand they can't just blink twice. This isn't I dream a genie. I'm bewitched. They can't blink twice and be a totally different person. It's been embedded in us to be a certain way. Those first, I want to say, 17 years, I'm going to have to look it up because I'm, I'm guessing, of somebody's life is setting them up for the rest of their life and the first 17 years of my life didn't set me up for the best I'm going to say it again my mom loved me she just was tired she didn't go out she didn't have boyfriends she didn't drink she didn't smoke she didn't do drugs none of that we went to church on Sundays 
but my mom was tired. So I pretty much raised myself from the time my brothers left, from age 12, until I was on my own. At 17, my dad got me a place. Yeah, so you guys, I appreciate you listening to me and being with me. And I know I'm going to learn to advertise these one day, but I, I'm over 100 downloads and I just feel so blessed about that. I feel blessed about it. Do not, I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning. Do not put masking tape. Do not use Gorilla Glue to seal your lips about things you feel in your rightful opinion. As long as you're not purposely trying to hurt somebody or putting people down, that's why you have your own mind so you can form your own opinions. And the world we live in now is telling you what you can feel, what you can think, what you can do, where you can go, who you can love, who you can't love, what kind of people you should be, what kind of people you can't include, wear masks, don't wear masks, uh, have an abortion, you're not allowed to have an abortion, we don't care if you were raped, you can't have an abortion, okay, it's against the law, you're going to hell, you're not going to heaven, stop it, all that, stop it. If you can perfect your life, make it perfect, sin-free, then go ahead and start helping the next person. But until then, until you get your life perfect, don't tell anybody else how to perfect theirs. Work on you and stay living in your glass house and we're all going to keep living in our glass houses, not throwing stones. All right? Alright, I appreciate you all again. This was a very long podcast. So I appreciate you if you listen to it through the end. Um, I just really felt heavy. Like I said, I'm operating off of two hours of sleep. I wanted to get up at 2 o'clock this morning and do this. But my husband was up also. Um, he had just slept longer than me because he'll go to bed at 5 in the evening. I go to bed now about 10, 10.30. So um, I appreciate you all. Remember, you could always hit me up at sonya.artist at ymail.com. That's sonya, S-O-N-Y-A, dot A-R-T as in tango, I-S, at ymail. Excuse the noise, they decided to cut grass. Um, or sonya.mcqueen at ledbymotivation.com. You can also find me on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, I appreciate you all. Thank you for your time.